I invite you to Matthew chapter 19. We are continuing our study through the gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 30. We'll finish up this this chapter today. And uh, as you find Matthew 19, if you would uh, place a marker in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll look at a few passages in the scriptures today, but I would love for you to to read along with me when we look to 1 Corinthians 4. So I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have your own Bible, we have Bibles in our vestibule here. We have Bibles over in the overflow, and we would love for you to pick up a copy today as our gift to you. If you're able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture? Now, we're picking up, just to give you the context, we're picking up, if you were not here uh, last week, where the the young man has come to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, sell your possessions, give to the poor, follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And he walked away sorrowful, the Bible says, because he had great possessions. So now we pick up with verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my sake, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you. A closer look at treasure in heaven. This is what Jesus promised the young man he would have if he would give up his one thing. Remember we talked about last week, what is your one thing? If he would give up his one thing and believe in Christ, follow Christ, he would have treasure in heaven. So let's take a closer look at treasure in heaven. Let's pray and 
ask the Lord to help us today. Father, it is a wonderful Sunday on our yearly calendar here at, at Grassy Pond Baptist Church. We, we're remembering those that we love who are in glory with you. We are remembering the hope that we have in Christ. We, we cherish our loved ones and we cherish our Savior who has given us so much to be thankful for today and so much hope. And what the subject matter is today of the promise of treasure in heaven. We understand that Christ is speaking of something that's far more precious. He's, he's not saying there's, there's piles, and, piles and piles of, uh, of gold and, and cash and that's not the, the treasure of heaven. There's, there's something far more valuable that awaits us in glory, namely you and the, the joyful bliss of eternal life in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And we ask God today for eyes to see and, and, and ears to hear and hearts to receive the the Lord Jesus says it's really difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what we're going to find is, as we study this text together, that it's actually really difficult for all of us, whether or not we have money or not. So, God, we, we come to you, and, and we are in need of your grace. We are in need of your mercy. We are in need of change. We are in need of faith. We are in need of encouragement. We just ask, God, that your will would be perfected in our lives today. If we are in Christ, I pray, Father, that we would leave this place far more in love with Christ than when we arrived. And if we are apart from Christ, may we be overwhelmed with his glory and may we be compelled, Lord, today that we cannot do anything else we cannot leave this place today without Christ. Would you be so gracious, Father, today to move in our lives in spite of who we are, in spite of our sin, so that your name might be praised, that we might be a people that praise you more. We ask, Father, today that you would build your church, that you would build your kingdom and that we would be an everlasting part of it. We love you, Lord. We love Christ. But we confess we, we need to love you more. So do that work, Father, and we give you glory now for it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, again, last week we looked at Jesus' conversation with the young man who had great possessions, wealthy young man. And the difference that, uh, between this young man finding life eternal in Christ, the difference between him finding life in Christ and walking away empty, 
on the path of eternal death, it all came down to this one thing. And, and make no mistake about it, even though the Bible says, for this man had great possessions, he walked away empty. Because remember, it was this man himself who asked Christ, what do I still lack? He knew he wasn't, his life wasn't complete, he wasn't filled, but yet he still walked away because this one thing he simply could not let go of, his wealth. He, he valued his earthly treasure above all that God had promised him in Christ, namely treasure in heaven, namely following Christ, knowing Christ. And so we ask ourselves last week, what, what do we still lack? If we are apart from Christ, if we still remain unbelieving in Christ, what is the one thing that is keeping us from possessing true, abundant, and eternal life? What's that one thing? And as believers, we had to ask ourselves because we are all in a, in, a, in a journey in our life in Christ. We're all in different places. We're all in different stages and phases. And, and there's always, for all of us, one more step to take. One, one more thing. One more area. One more place for us to grow. What is the one thing in our lives as believers that is keeping us from that deep and rich and meaningful fullness of joy and life in Christ. What's that one thing? So today, we look at this follow-up conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. Can you, imagine the, can you imagine the atmosphere when this young man just walks away? Can you, can you imagine how, how thick the air must have become? To see Christ, the Son of God, standing before this man, offering him life eternal, treasure in heaven, all that he could ever need for life, abundant and eternal, and he just walks away. Well, that's where we pick up in verse 23. And when we're examining our faith in Christ or the absence of faith in Christ... When we're asking, what's that one thing, it may be very difficult for us. We may automatically know, yeah, here's, here's the thing. But it may be very difficult for us to pinpoint and determine what's that one thing that's keeping me from Christ or keeping me from growing in Christ. Because that one thing can tend to become so much a part of our lives so much a part of who we are and how we identify ourselves and how we view the world and how we view life. We don't even think to evaluate it. We don't see it as something that can be removed or that can be added. We've considered this thing. We, we, we've, we've made so many excuses that there's no longer any need for excuses. We've grown accustomed to this in our lives for so long. We've considered it, and we do consider it, as it's not really harmful to our spiritual lives. So, so we need help 
We need help. Taking a closer look at treasure in heaven, we need help to identify that one thing by realizing by realizing what we are giving up in Christ, what we are losing when we choose and value that one thing over Christ. What we are losing in Christ. And so that's why we pray for God to, to open our eyes. Maybe it's just simply questions. Maybe what's keeping you from Christ is that you have questions, you have doubts. You, you believe that the, the, the Bible has contradiction, that, the, that the Christianity doesn't work, that it's not real. What is that one thing? So we pray for God to open our eyes to the difference between what we treasure in this life as opposed to what God has in store for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the first thing for us to see in verses 23 and 24 is to never underestimate the powerful sway of earthly treasure. Now, treasure, great possessions, that might not be our one thing. Our one thing might be a spiritually hindering relationship. Our one thing might be a sinful habit. Our one thing might be those doubts and questions that we have. Or anything, anything that matters to us more than Christ. But since this young man's one thing was wealth, let's be sure we understand just how powerful a hold on our lives that possessions can have. Notice that Jesus said in verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, that's a very difficult path for a rich person to follow. It's extremely hard for a person of wealth to clearly see and understand that treasure in heaven, that that you can't touch, that that you can't see. To clearly understand and see from spiritual eyes and spiritual faith that the treasure in heaven far surpasses, far outweighs, far outlasts, far more satisfies his soul than anything in this life. It's hard to see that when your portfolio is so secure and large. Wealth can be very powerfully misleading and blindingly deceptive. And by the way, you don't have to be wealthy for wealth to be deceptive. It can be the pursuit of wealth. It can be the desire for wealth. It can be that belief that just, just that, that pursuit of that, that one more dollar is just as deceptive as getting that one more dollar. The deception of wealth is that a, a comfortable nest egg provides a false sense of security and comfort. 
that everything's okay now and that I can make everything right now, that I can control things. Monetary security allows one a measure of freedom and come and go as I, as I please. It allows a, a measure of, of, of less worry to, to not be overwhelmed if, if we do have unexpected expenses, unforeseen circumstances. Or the, the, the opportunity to pursue pleasurable pursuits, to, to, to go and do that thing that I've always dreamed of or always wanted to do or always wanted to take my family to do. Wealth has the ability to promise a better life. But what wealth doesn't tell us is that the more you have, the more you have to worry about keeping it. It rids you of some problems only to provide you with a new set of problems. It doesn't tell you that the freedom offered by wealth to to obtain the things that you want, to to be able to do the things that you want to do, dramatically increases your, your, your proneness and your temptation to do things you should not do because now you actually can. Now you actually can manage it. Now you actually can afford it. Now you actually can pursue it. Now you actually can hide it. And it also doesn't tell us that, that, that fortune so easily then becomes our God. That before you know it, it doesn't take a place, it takes every place. Before you know it, everything is filtered through not the lens of faith, not the grid of Christianity, but the lens of wealth, the grid of money. Wait a minute, and all of a sudden, all of your future planning is done with dollar signs instead of the cross. It comes to a point that it possesses you rather than you possessing it. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verses 10 through 12. The writer of Ecclesiastes who has pursued all things to find out what is wisdom in this life, he says this, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Now remember, this is a guy writing that has a lot of money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income. He says, this is vanity. It will not satisfy. It will leave you empty. It will not fill the void. He goes on in verse 11 to say, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that is wanting that money, wanting that security, wanting that next thing. It is through this craving, listen to this, that some have wandered from the faith. 
and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, you just, you just don't, you just evidently you don't know me because <laughs> I have no wealth and possessions have no hold on me whatsoever. There, there's, I, I agree with you, there's some people, but, but not me. Here's how we test that. The reading of wheels. That's how we test that. When wheels are read, so are hearts. That's a dangerous time, isn't it? When family gathers to figure out what grandma and grandpa left who, what mom and dad left who. That's when our greed and our selfishness and our grab for earthly treasures appears. That's when we begin to understand just how powerful the sway of earthly treasure becomes. It's so powerful that families will absolutely bark, bite, shout, undermine, and eventually split never to speak to one another again over, listen, to something that's passing away. Something that's temporary. That's powerful. So there, we, we, there are many benefits that wealth can provide, but there are also many dangers. And the most dangerous danger of all is what we read in 1 Timothy 6. It's not that families may separate. It's that it might separate you from God. <laughs> That's the most dangerous danger. When we cling to our wealth, to the, the detriment and possible destruction of our spiritual life. Now, I remind you, there are many wealthy men in the Bible who love the Lord. Job loved the Lord. He was wealthy. Abraham loved the Lord. He was wealthy. David loved the Lord. He was wealthy. But it wasn't easy. When you have great possessions as this young man, there's a constant battle. There's a battle that you face every day with every circumstance and every outlook and every decision. And that battle is, will Christ be supreme or will my possessions be supreme in this matter of my life? You will battle that every day in every decision, in every outlook. It's not easy. In verse 24, Jesus goes on just to make sure we understand just how difficult it is. He, he explains what he means by difficulty. And boy, what, what language is this? It, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard people years ago say, you know, there's one of the gates over there in Jerusalem is called the eye of the needle. And if you're a camel, you got to get down on your knees and go. And that's what Jesus, no, it's not. He was talking about a camel and the eye of a needle. 
The context is going to tell us that. Just hang on with me and I'll prove it by the context. Not by some historical reference that nobody knows about. In other words, it's more difficult than you think. It's a lot more difficult than you think. It's actually, here's the point, it's actually impossible. In fact, Jesus is going to go on to say that. A wealthy man in his own strength, in his sinful nature, will never arrive at the conclusion that Christ is far better. In fact, Christ is so much better, I would be willing to lose every bit of this that I have been given or that I have built with my own two hands or however I have it. I would be willing to lose every bit of this in order for Christ to be supreme in my life and my eternal treasure. It is absolutely impossible for a rich man who is in his sin, in his own strength, to come to that conclusion. He simply won't give up his one thing. That's exactly what happened with the young man who had so many great possessions. He just couldn't arrive at that conclusion. I'll do anything. What do I need to do? What good deed do I need to do? Sell all your stuff and give to the poor. Uh, I didn't mean that. (laughs) What other good thing must I do? He simply, he simply couldn't give up that one thing. And in fact, that, that truth is true for all of us, whether that one thing is our wealth or something else. We simply don't have it within us to see that heaven's infinite treasure, which is Christ, is more treasure than our meager, little, finite treasure here on this earth whether that's wealth or whatever that thing is. And that's what leads us to the next words in this text. Saving faith is a miracle, is an absolute miracle. It's a miracle when someone is born. Life is a miracle. New life is a miracle. When someone is born again, It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Verses 25 through 26, the the, the Bible says here that the disciples, when they they heard this, they were greatly astonished. They, They were taken back. They were baffled. When Jesus goes to this length to describe how impossible it is to get into the kingdom of heaven. They are absolutely taken back. Wait a minute. If they understand what you're saying is this is impossible. So, so uh, I mean, who can be saved? I mean, if this guy couldn't do it, I mean, look at him. L- look at all that he had going for him. I mean, surely he had more going for him than, than we do. I mean, we were fishermen. We were uneducated fishermen. He was a good man. He loved his neighbor. He had everything he wanted. My my goodness, if he can't enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can be saved? 
That's exactly where the disciples end up being greatly astonished and taken back and, and realizing, wait a minute, if, if, if he can't, then do any of us have a shot at this? Who, who can be saved? That's exactly where they need to be. That's exactly where we need to get to. Then, then wait a minute, it, it sounds like it's impossible for everybody. You see, an idol is an idol no matter what idol it is. Self, pride, pleasure, wealth, whatever. As sinners, we've all given our lives to something. And we're not going to let that go because we've already convinced ourselves that this one thing is what gives us life and happiness and joy, and that's why Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. Notice the, that's the answer to the question, who can be saved? Jesus' answer to that question is, with man, it's impossible. Now, notice that he didn't say, with that young man, it's impossible. He didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't say, well, with rich people, it's impossible. He didn't say that. He said with man. In other words, the disciples are, are tracking right. Who, who can be saved? With man, this is impossible. This is impossible. We are sinners. We, we, we can never be saved in our own strength and by our own doing. We are simply not able to see. We're simply not able to see that Christ is greater treasure than anything else in this life. Here's the test of that. Here's the test of that. Please hear me very well. Very serious right now. Put yourself in that man's shoes from last week. Put yourself in that man's shoes. What if Jesus told you that, what he told him, today? Would you do what he did? Or would you do what Peter said they've done? However you answer that question, tells you where you are in Christ. That wasn't in my notes, by the way. Sin has blinded us from seeing the glory of God in Christ. Apart from faith, we simply can't see that Christ is more glorious. We'll just walk away. We'll say, that's too much. You're not talking to me. That doesn't apply to me. I'll do something else. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see that this is not just some kind of theology I'm making up. We're going to read two verses from 1 Corinthians 4, and then I want you to keep your place there because we're going to come back and read two more verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. 
Paul says, and even if our gospel is veiled, that is hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what, as a sinner, in Satan's domain, you will never see. And that's what keeps you from Christ. Now, turn back to our text. Keep your place there in 2 Corinthians 4. So Jesus answers that question, first of all, with, well, with man, this is impossible. But, praise God, right? But, then Jesus says, but, but with God, all things are possible. Now, that's wonderful to hear, isn't it? That should have gotten an amen from some Baptist out here, somewhere, in Baptist land. But, with God, all things are possible. In other words, yes, it is true that sin has such a grip on the heart that man will never be saved on his own. But... As we're learning on Sunday nights, the, the gospel begins with bad news. With man, it is, impos- it is impossible. The gospel begins with bad news, but you have to come to grips with just how bad the bad news is. And you have to understand you're caught up in that bad news. You're in the grip of that bad news. But once you understand how bad for you that bad news is, with man it is impossible. With humankind it is impossible. We're all humankind here. It is impossible. We have to realize how bad the bad news is before we can begin to rejoice in just how wonderful and thrilling and good the good news is, which is but with God... All things are possible. You can't see the glory of Christ on our own. We'll never love Christ more than this world on our own. We will never believe and embrace and treasure Christ on our own. But God, by his grace, can open the eyes of our heart pull back the veil of sin and shine the light of the gospel on our thirsty souls. Then we see that Christ is the fountain of life. Then we see that he's the treasure of the universe. Then we see him as Savior and Lord and God of all. Then we understand that that thing we've been clinging to so much is actually empty. It can't hold us, but Christ can. It can't save us, but Christ can. It can't complete us, but Christ can. Then we see. And then we believe. And then we repent. And then we are saved. And that's all because of God's grace. 
Look back with me to 2 Corinthians 4. Now let's pick up verses 5 and 6. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 and 4 is the bad news. With man it is impossible. Verses 5 and 6 is the good news. But with God all things are possible. Remember the context is who can be saved. So look with me at verse 5. For what we proclaim to you is not ourselves... But Jesus Christ as Lord, that means he's preaching the gospel. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, calling back to creation, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the grace of God is greater than the veil of Satan. It can shine through and show us what sin keeps hidden from us. Namely, Christ is better. Christ is better. No matter what it is, Christ is better. Christ is better. God is able to do and will do what we can never do, and that is save us. And that brings us to this third point in verses 27 through 29. Heavenly treasure far surpasses any earthly treasure. So Peter exclaims, he's listening to what Jesus is saying, and he's thinking, surely you mean us. Because he says, see, we have left everything and followed you. In other words, Peter's saying, we have done exactly what you asked the young man to do, and he wouldn't do. We have done. We've left it all and followed you. In other words, we, we followed you because we believe that you are the Son of God. Peter confesses as much earlier in Matthew. Remember us studying that text together, that wonderful profession of faith. And so believing, which is how we are following, we, we, know, we, we are knowing and we found it far better to be with you than to be with anything else. See, we, we've left everything. And followed you. You see, the disciples' faith was more than just words, wasn't it? More than just a name on a list. More than just a decision. The disciples' faith was a whole new life. We have left everything and followed you. That looks like something brand new. That looks like something totally different. That looks like there's been a new birth with a new life. That looks like there's been a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And that new life that, 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 that springs is coming from prizing Christ and loving Christ above everything else in this life. We studied that passage. We referenced that passage about the disciples. Remember Jesus stood on the shore and said, follow me. And they dropped the nets, left the boat, left their father and followed him. How'd they do that? Because Christ was more. Christ was better. 
So Peter wants to know, listen, we've, we've got that kind of faith. We've done that. We've left everything. We follow you. So, so, so what will we have? In other words, G, uh, Peter is saying, do we have eternal life? Do we have the kingdom of heaven? Is it ours? And Jesus Jesus' reply, isn't this wonderful? Jesus replies to him, truly, I, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, in other words, Jesus' reply is to say, you're not only entering the kingdom, you're going to be reigning with me in the kingdom. In other words, Jesus is saying, far more awaits you than you can imagine. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, the same is true for all of us who are in Christ. The Bible says we will reign with him forever and ever. And in the following verse, Jesus makes sure that we understand that he's, this is not just something that's, this promise is not just something that's isolated to the 12, that there's more for them awaiting in heaven, but there's more for everyone awaiting in heaven. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. And will inherit eternal life. In other words, there's far more. Remember, that was the young man's first question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Full circle now, Jesus is answering. If you are in Christ, there's eternal life. But there's far more. There's far more. That's why he called it earlier, treasure in heaven. Jesus makes sure we know that this this promise is for all who are in him. Notice what he lists there. I want to say a couple of things about that. He basically lists possessions, right? Houses and lands, possessions. This young man had a great amount of them. And then he lists family, So sandwiched in between the possessions is brothers, sisters, father, mother, children. In other words, just a a splattering. The the, the point is familial bonds. Listen to me very carefully. Enslavement to possessions and idolizing familial bonds. That is putting children above Jesus. It's putting mom above God. It's putting grandchildren above your faith. Idolizing familial bonds will keep, and enslavement to possessions will keep millions and millions of souls out of heaven. But for those who have left them for Christ... God has a treasure in store beyond what your soul can contain. You think those things fill you only because you've not tasted Christ. Now, leaving possessions and leaving family, that's not always literal. God does not call every single Christian 
to leave everything they have and everyone they have. If he did, we would all be isolated. None of us would be together. That's not the call of everyone. Sometimes what leaving your houses and lands and family, what that means is simply putting them in their right place in the perspective of your heart and your affections. Keeping them in the right order under the Lord Christ and not beside him or above him. But sometimes this call is literal, isn't it? Even today, sometimes this call is absolutely the very thing that Jesus calls us to do. Just ask any foreign missionary today. What have they left? Ask them, what have they left? We talked about three wealthy Old Testament saints earlier. Let's go back and talk about them again. Job suffered the loss of his possessions, of his family, and of his health. But he didn't lose his faith. Why? Because he loved God more. Those things didn't have him. God had him. Abraham, Abraham left his country to go wherever God may lead him to go. Why did he do that? Because he loved God more. He prized God above his surroundings. David was ran off of the throne and ran out of town, and the Psalms testify. You read through the Psalms. We've, we've studied through them on Sunday evenings, and when you read through the Psalms, you see over and over and over that David is broken, but he has not lost his faith. The point here is that Jesus promises a hundredfold and eternal life. In other words, there's nothing you can give or sacrifice or leave or let go or put in its proper place that God's reward in Christ will not overcompensate by a hundred times. You will simply never give God more than he has given us in Christ. So I conclude with this verse of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Christ better. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace now. We understand from this passage we can't do it on our own. We also understand from this passage the truth, even though we can't see it on our own, from the truth of the Scripture, it is still true that Christ is better and what you have for us in Christ is far better. The problem is we just can't see it. Our heart can't rejoice in it and treasure it and embrace it. We need your grace that we might be changed into the likeness of Christ 
That if we are apart from Christ, that we might come to him. If we are in Christ, that we might release our hold on those things that are cluttering our walk and our fellowship and our growth in him. And we need clarity to understand the difference between the two. What it means to not be in Christ and what it means to be in a stalemate in our growth in Christ. Those two are not the same thing. We need grace to understand, Father, where we stand in relation to you so that we might repent and believe accordingly. So we need grace. Would you shower us with grace in these next few moments in the presence of your word and the presence of your spirit that we all might be in Christ. Help us to respond in faith and repentance accordingly and properly. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. You have